episode two, Plugged In, a Nashville Soccer Podcast. I am your co-host, Drake Hills, alongside producer Nick, a.k.a. Nick Gray. And of course, we'll be talking about Nashville SC today. Thank you so much for listening, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, first and foremost, before we even start talking, please subscribe to the Tennessean. We really appreciate it on sale now, $1 for six months. Tennessean.com slash Nashville SC. You can basically get you the entire MLS season right there. The entire MLS season, in-depth coverage, exclusive coverage, and of course, anything you want involving your sports from your community. So Nashville SC officially kicks off the 2021 season. Today's agenda is our impressions and disappointments of their opening match against FC Cincinnati. We'll give you the result. We'll give you some of the players that we think were spectacular, some of the players who just simply did their job, and some players who might have been questionable. And then we'll move on to some enterprise topics. We'll be talking about the match attendance and the lack thereof, uh, or shall I say, the questionable number that we were not given. Meanwhile, other MLS teams who had home matches to begin the 2021 season did indeed report their match attendance. We'll also be talking about Jean de Cadiz, and we'll be talking about the interesting turnaround of the storyline that is the plentiful center forward position of Nashville SC. Nick Gray, first and foremost, let's give him the news. Nashville SC 2, FC Cincinnati 2. Come from behind win. Brenner and the return of Luciano Acosta get the first two goals in 13 minutes. The first two. Can you imagine FC Cincinnati at Nissan Stadium in the 15th minute, we're up 2-0 against one of the better, more challenging teams of the Eastern Conference, that is Nashville SC, before, shall we say, 75 minutes of a dominant Nashville SC performance going forward. Let's just start with the over-aiming over arch here, the fact that this was the scenario 15 minutes into the match. Nick Gray, please tell me what is going on. Well, first off, I don't know if that, that didn't happen at all last year, if I remember correctly. There was no two goals in the first 15 minutes from the other side. So that was jarring. It was, it was surprising, definitely surprising. And whatever you might think about the penalty, which I thought was a penalty. I know you're on, uh, we haven't even talked about this off air, about whether or not the not. penalty was, was a penalty. I know at least my initial reaction from a tweet that you had where you were a little. I was Boy. definitely – I was a little off. I was very yeah. confused because – so let's just break this down, right? So FC Cincinnati, you're up 1-0 after Luciano Acosta scores his goal. After a back pass from – I believe it was Dave Romney to Dave, Dave Romney to Joe Willis. Uh, Joe Willis first takes a touch and he plays it left. He's thinking – we're thinking he's going to clear it with his left foot. Brenner, the center forward – takes the angle and then blocks that off. So Joe makes a pivot, takes a touch, and plays it towards his right and gets ready to clear it. But the ball is played out so far ahead of him that he gives Brenner the opportunity to go and close it down and potentially get what I would like to call the, uh, shall we say, the Karim Benzema uh, easy goal uh, against Liverpool in the Champions League final a couple of years ago. But Willis... He gets the ball off, but he also clips Brenner in the process. And so the ball was cleared way upfield. And to the point where they actually had a 
foul and a potential free kick. Yeah, right? it was a and dead. It was a seat. dead. It was a dead ball. Somewhat sixty yards down the field, and or that's more, yeah. and that's at that point. That's when the head match official gets the gets the signal, goes the var, looks at it. Willis does indeed clip Brenner, so they bring it all the way back, and Brenner scores the the penalty in the thirteenth minute. So you agree it was a penalty? You agree it, well, I agree it was a penalty, okay. and and listening to Gary Smith at the end, um, we're, we're going to let you hear from him and what he has to say. But I think in his tone, and of course uh, from the players on the field. And this is my point of view from the press box. Everyone was accepting, shall we say. They didn't like it, of course, but they were accepting. So here's what Nashville coach Gary Smith had to say about the penalty and Joe Willis. He's a very experienced guy. Um, I would think he's disappointed going back on to tonight as to, you know, maybe how the second goal developed. And 99 times out of 100, Joe doesn't try and beat the forward rushing on in but I think that's uh, that's a consequence of the way the pre-season has maybe unfolded for not just the team but some individuals in the group and and Joe's not had uh, a load of playing time Um, you know his performances are record speak for itself in our first year I I certainly uh, had no worries beyond that that he would himself together and uh, apart from being disappointed be uh, you know be a, a, a foundational piece to, to whatever we were going to achieve moving forward so after that penalty and the, the two nothing uh, deficit I still think there was still five or ten minutes there where Nashville SC hadn't adjusted well enough to number one the pace and the structure of SC Cincinnati playing so far upfield playing on the wings so with so much so much thought about getting upfield and playing upfield uh, that I think still Nashville SC was a little caught off guard. But once they started to retain possession, once they started to go upfield and you had the moment of the first goal, then you got to a point where Nashville SC dominated the last 60 minutes or more of the match. And I think if you watch the last hour of the match, this is what you expected. You expected – and this is what we expected coming in. Nashville SC dominates the match for the most part. Maybe FC Cincinnati gets a couple chances, which they did in the second half. There were a few chances here and there. They were they were just hanging on for dear life. Well, they were. I mean, let's let's be honest. So for for the general stats of this match, FC Cincinnati did not have a shot on goal outside of their two goals. They had yeah. two shots on goal, and one was Luciana Costa tapping in the eighth minute, and then you had Brenner's penalty in the thirteenth. And let's be honest here. Let's be honest here. It was it, it it's not like Nashville took so long right. to 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 get that to get that first goal. It took seven minutes after Brenner yeah. scored the penalty. Anibal Godoy gets the he gets the he gains possession. He makes the key, starts the counter. He goes down about 30 yards. He's absolutely just waving Randall Leal. Vamos, vamos, come on, run with me, run with me. Ronald Leal gets the ball down the left channel, plays it low cross into Jonah Cadiz, and you go to one. And I actually thought, and that I, before I get to my impressionables and, and disappointments, as will you, um, there were multiple opportunities for Nashville to, to equalize as soon as the 30th minute, 32nd minute. Um, I believe it was a set piece header by Dave Romney that hit the, they hit the woodwork. Um, 
But yes, a couple of other general stats. Nashville C had 32 shots on 32 shots total, 14 yeah. corners. Both are the most and it almost seemed had. like more. Yes. Yeah. And and going back to your other point, Nashville C has not been multiple goals down at home since joining MLS. So there were a lot of there were a lot of, of records, there were a lot of things and uh, uh, scenarios that Nashville had not been in since joining MLS. So all of 2020 and of course on Saturday, and it's a different, it's a different type of situation. But as promised, Nick Gray, let's move into players who you were impressed by and perhaps disappointed with on Saturday. Well, first, I have one more overarching point. My my main overarching point was this is what I was concerned about when I talked about how. I thought maybe one win, two draws, and a loss would come in this first four. My concern was going to be the start and how this team would get going. Um, I didn't know if it was necessarily going to be against FC Cincinnati, but I thought in general that might be a concern. And it definitely showed itself on Saturday. Um, obviously, I don't know if Nashville deserved all three points. They definitely deserved a point. You can argue about deserving all three points. I think they probably should have deserved all three points, honestly. Uh, but when you get to a point where you don't start, when you start so poorly, this is what happens. So that was my concern going into this game for the first month or so this season. And that, that, that could happen against teams they shouldn't be dropping points to. And lo and behold, it happens to an FC Cincinnati team that will still, I think we can agree on this, is still bottom tier of the Eastern Conference after watching them really, really, really poor effort from minute 25, minute 30 on. So that that's that was my overarching point. But in terms of players, um, Handwala Buana coming off the bench, comes in with about a half hour to go, out, comes in for Alex Mueller, and – I thought he did a very good job on the right side. I think Nashville did a lot of a lot of their work um, on the side of Lovitz and Leal, but also I thought Hanwala Buana did a good job in establishing um, the fact that he could be a guy that they can look at to play major minutes because I thought he did a good job in producing opportunities. I thought he was very dangerous off that right side and, you know, Looking for another – I know there's other options there for the winger opposite of Ronda Leal. I think he's thrown his name in the hat with that performance against FC Cincinnati on Saturday. Okay, so we talked about a bit of this off-air, but I, to my understanding, you actually have a couple of disappointments as far as individual performance. Yes, I do. Well, I don't know if – I mean, obviously, Anibal Godoy's efforts to produce help – jump start the first goal was good but I thought and it's hard to be disappointed like I don't know if there was anybody who wasn't who who was disappointing after the half hour mark like Nashville SC was that good after the 25 to 30 minute mark that you can't really be disappointed with any of those efforts because I think you put that effort forth throughout a 90 minute or even a 60 minute portion of any game and you're gonna, you're going to produce victories almost every time. But I think in the first 20 minutes, I thought, I thought that the Dax McCarty, Anibal Godoy midfield pairing looked a little, I wouldn't say overwhelmed, but they weren't quite into the tempo of the game. And when you don't have those guys in the tempo of the game, 
it really hurts both. I mean, it hurts everybody because they're the connector. They're connectors of the yeah. group. They're connectors to the side. And so if they're not distributing the ball correctly, if they're not the outlet to jumpstart the counter when a team is pressing so high, it took them a while. And once they got that first one that really clicked, I thought after that, well, Nashville SC was one of the more impressive sides of the, uh, of the weekend, really. Um, but obviously – you can't talk about the last 65 minutes without the first 25. And I thought for the first 25, it took them a while to, to get jump started. Now, obviously, for like a long-term viewpoint of this, you're not going to be concerned about Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty in this side. Certainly um, they're, not. They're, they're, they're going to be the best part of a lot of what National SC does. But it was it, they needed to jump start. And once they did, then you saw National SC really get going. Yeah, well, let's be clear here. It's nothing – to do with Yuya Kubo and um, Camelo Makotoho, um, the two right. central mids for FC Cincinnati. And Luciano Costa was really a glorified second striker. Uh, he was. FC Cincinnati did – they did kind of push him forward a little bit. I think, um, you know, he really was more or less Brenner's right-hand man in a lot of what they were trying to do. But <laughs> – once the second half got in, got into the form, I don't think they were really doing much but trying to to give Nashua C trouble, if at all. And they didn't really do a job uh, in in that at all. So and right. I think for me, for me, I am going to go defensive because yes, Jean de Cadiz he had a great first half, in my opinion, regardless of the goals that FC Cincinnati scored. I think the first forty five was Jean de was was solid. It was very decent. I even think before he got taken off and CJ Sapong had made his Nashville debut and had some chances himself. Uh, one was that cross, which oh. eventually became a handwall of Buana chance yes. um, that, that both of them missed. I think Jander is, for me, the best player that Randall can play with. And I think the connection between Jander and, and Hani is, is still trying to to formulate and maybe whether it's Alex Muil or if Rodrigo Pinheiro, uh, once he breaks in, we're expecting him to, um, we'll see what that connection is like, but the connection between Jander and Randall spectacular. And even the central midfield for Nashville, I think they understand what Jander's trying to do and, and they can, they can play to, to his skill set. And so aside from him, I'm going defensive. And this is my line for the entire episode. 2020 was about the right side of the back line. It was about Walker Zimmerman, your MLS Defender of the Year, best 11, arguably one of the better players overall in MLS in 2020. And it was about the rise of Alistair Johnston. In 2021, it is going to be about Dave Romney and Dan Lovitz. You saw Saturday against Cincinnati. Not only did Dave Romney had that he had that header in that set piece, um, he hits he hits the crossbar. He had a lot of opportunities in set pieces. I also think he did he did what he does best, which is passing the ball. I think he's one of the better passing center backs in MLS. And yes, of course, if you go to Tennessee.com, you'll see that story that I wrote about Dave. Um, not necessarily from what I think, but just take a look at the numbers of 2020. Um, Dave Romney is a, is a solid center back right there. And then, of course, Dan Lovitz, he, I think he carried on the side volley energy 
that he brought against Orlando on decision day last year. I think he's also a guy who's been very clear about what he wants to do in 2021 as far as going forward is concerned, being a more of attacking threat for Nashville SC. Two guys who arguably were some of the better individual performers in Cincinnati. And if I had to choose one, it would be Dan Lovitz. So what? don't you think that Randall all Lovitz pairing on the left side going forward? Well, that's always been a strength for each me. other. I think that's it's always just, been it's could, always it been could, much it, better. It could be go from a strength though to one of the best winger fullback combinations. Maybe as far as maybe as far as an understanding, maybe yes. as far as an understanding is concerned. Sure, I think uh, you know. I, I think and in producing chances, I think LAFC. Um, they're they're pretty solid in that category. I think there's some other teams that might have something to say about that, but, um, you know, as, as far as understanding is concerned, it's always been clear that Dan Lovitz and, and Leal have been able to adjust quicker to being new teammates than the right side of the team. Uh, but credit to you about switching up really what we're talking about as far as disappointments is concerned. There really, I agree with you that there really wasn't any, there weren't any disappointments uh, after that first 15 to 20 ish minutes for Nashville. I would say though, um, I, I, I want, I want to see how, and this is not Alex wheels game and honey is still more of the point guard. He's pulling the strings with Nashville C, but I want Nashville to play and give honey perhaps some more opportunities to score some goals. Um, Cause he just seems like he's steady into the passing side. And of course, he had that opportunity. I believe it was in the first half where he where pretty he much came across from the left side. And came across. Right. Yeah. He came, he came across and he had kind of an awkward angle to try to beat Teton, but he, he kind of played a low ball and Teton blocked it. Um, I want to see Hani and more goal scoring, not goal creating opportunities. Not saying that I, I don't, I'm not trying to say take away from the impact he has in the goal creation in the, in the scoring opportunities for whether it's Jondor or Randall or anyone else. But I do think that he has more in his bag, so to speak, uh, when it comes to scoring goals, uh, in addition to what he can do from set pieces. So that's where we're at with that. We're going to put a pin in it because we have some enterprise topics to talk about, Nick, right? But first, and- before we get to that, I want, I want to ask one more thing about the MLS week one, match day one. Give me – one non national SC take about what happened this weekend in MLS. Uh, one MLS take. This is I what just, happens, guys, when we that, don't talk about things before we come on the air. <laughs> I mean, you can't just throw it up. I mean, you got to. Oh, I could throw it up. You can't throw it up. You have to come up with something that is legitimate. Um, I think. Can I give you one? I think. I think the LA Galaxy. Will be the most improved team of MLS. Took it. You took you took my take. LA Galaxy Chicharito, will be the. No, it's good. not even. It's not even just Chicharito. Um, Fisher Jr. I think we believe it was the left back uh, for for LA Galaxy was no. I believe he was a right. No, he was a right back. And yes, he yeah, did. Villafania is on the left side. Yes, and he did. Villafania had a, a pretty decent game, but Fisher, all although he did play Gonzalo Iguain on side for the first Inter Miami goal. Uh, aside from that, he was a pest 
like he was he was certainly a, a nuisance for Inter Miami, not only just for Robbie Robinson, but for Higuain. Um, I know he and he and uh, Nico Figal had got into it at the end of the match. Galaxy ended up steals Inter Miami's, uh, shall we say, home with fans debut. That's right. the largest contingent they've had since coming in MLS. And they go in and they steal a 3-2 win. So I think LA Galaxy, if there was a most improved team award, it would go to LA and Greg Vanny. You know, it was so fun to watch. I, I, know, it's, I know I talked to you, I, t- I told you this earlier, when Robbie Robinson scored his first goal in that first half, to see boys Matidi, Matuidi and uh, Gonzalo Higuain be so excited and so pumped and to see two guys like that be so invested in a side like that, that that's fun. That was fun for me to see, to, to kind of reinforce what inner Miami is trying to do with the manager who I will see about what Phil Neville has, has to say about the rest of the year in terms of his tactics. I, I'm not so sure. When I look at it, number one, um, I'll just do it here. Number one, uh, my uh, MLS MVP pick um, was uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, and Seattle looked absolutely just damn good. Yeah, against Minnesota, um, winning four nil, and Raul Ruiz Diaz had two goals. So I would say for all those people that want to see the uh, the class of the the Western Conference um, undone by those in Portland and Seattle. And seeing see that uh, title go elsewhere, may not see that. Yeah, you, know, you may not be seeing that again this year. I think uh, Seattle is going to be really, really good. Um, I know the LA the LA teams will have a lot to say about that too, especially if get the Galaxy continue to play as dangerous as they did on Sunday. But now to those enterprising topics that you were talking about. Yes. What you got for me, Drake Hills? Match attendance, Nashville C. After Mayor John Cooper and Metro Public Health had given a last minute update to capacity at Nissan Stadium, increasing capacity from 33% to 40%, fans were indeed in the cut. They came to cheer. They came to get their chance on. They came with their gold on. And you could, for the first time, in my opinion, I mean, aside from Randall Leal's absolute screamer against Inter Miami. How did it take us this long to talk about Randall Leal, by the way? Uh, well, look, he's he's team of the week. I mean, it's a given. We're, we're, was we're it not, a cross? Was it a cross? It was a cross. He said so. Yeah, I think so. Okay. He said so it was a cross. Uh, but he did say, and credit to him, speaking great English, by the way, uh, he did say he believes the best goals come – when you try to do something and something else happens. That's what he said. But moving on, though. Match attendance, Nissan Stadium, 40% capacity. For the first time since I got back and returned to the press box to cover Nashville SC in person, I felt the backline supporters. I felt the roadies. I felt the assembly, the heaters, La Brigada de Oro. Music City supporters, everybody. Felt them all, right? Felt everybody. Even, even around the other lower deck, even around... Um, look, the fans were definitely missing. I think that's a low-hanging fruit there. It was obvious. Yeah. And it's obvious around the league. It's obvious around soccer elsewhere. But the puzzling thing after all of that, after the great atmosphere that was Nissan Stadium on Saturday night, Nashville C was the only club 
not to announce attendance. And this was something that I actually asked about at the end of the match and was told that MLS does not report match attendance during the COVID-19 pandemic. Interesting. Oddly enough, (laughs) Nashville SC reported match attendance multiple times during the 2020 season on and after October 6th, when they hosted Minnesota United for the first time in which, in which for the first time in which fans could have attended a match starting at what 10% capacity, moving to 12 and a half, moving to ultimately 15% last fall. They jumped to 40% this spring and they do not announce match attendance. Now, let me just give you some of the figures that were announced across MLS and particularly the teams, obviously, that hosted home games on the opening night. Orlando City hosting Atlanta United, announcing 11,500 at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. FC Dallas hosting Colorado, 8,621. Chicago Fire, a very interesting thriller against New England Revolution. Very interesting. Uh, 8,000 and change. That's at Soldier Field. So, yes, the equivalent. You have an NFL stadium here, and they're bringing in 8,000. Enter Miami for the first time having a large contingent of fans. Very uh, interesting to hear this. On prime time against LA Galaxy. Uh, Reportedly, they had almost just under 8,000 fans. Boy, it looked more than that. It It certainly did. did. It certainly did, (laughs) and especially the supporters. It felt like they were – props to them. It felt like they were in the five-figure range, I must say. Right. Um, Seattle Sounders, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Molly Wapping, Minnesota United, 4-0. They had over 7,000 fans. Houston against San Jose, that was a Friday kickoff, 6,300 and change. Then you have, of That's course, surprising. Saturday Columbus Crew, which was the most, in my opinion, was the, the big heavyweight matchup that didn't really uh, prove to be much. Uh, Columbus Crew hosting Philadelphia Union. So you had the MLS Cup champion against the Supporters Shield holders. 5,000 and change at historic crew stadium now. Don't you love the way they say that now? Oh, boy. LAFC, LAFC hosting the 2021 expansion team, Austin FC, 4,900. Now, LA, just as much as in Miami, um, those are two markets that obviously would have tons of fans, but especially in California, having some of the most harsh uh, capacity protocols. And so to have fans be back at Bank of California Stadium was a good sight to see. D.C. United knocking off New York City FC at home, 4,500 fans. So pretty much uh, selling out to capacity. And then New York Red Bulls uh, hosting Sporting Kansas City, who SKC ended up getting the win, 37-50. So you say all those numbers, and my question is – after looking at the photos and the video and watching the game on Saturday, it looked like there were more than what? You, you said the 11,503 11, 11, reportedly at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. Don't you think there were more than 11,503? No question. Absolutely no question. So if you have the most attendance as a home team for any team for any game in the MLS opening weekend – wouldn't that be something that a, a person who would want to help shine the light on Nashville SC, wouldn't you think that's a piece of information you'd want to release? And this is my theory. I am not claiming to know the exact capacity or the exact match attendance. But 
you can't sit here and tell me that LAFC having 4,900 fans, I'll even go higher than that. Enter Miami, right? Your expansion buddies. You ha- do you have 8,000 fans in, in, at Nissan Stadium against FC Cincinnati? I think well, so. I would almost say probably more than almost that many in the lower lower bowl, maybe. I'll say or I'll close say, to it. I'll say eight thousand. I'll yeah. say eight thousand at Nissan Stadium. And what? so, and now and and Inter Miami was playing on national television, ESPN, right. against LA Nashville, Galaxy. Nashville's playing the worst team in the Eastern Conference now. David, I know it's a rival. David Beckham. Still- David Beckham was in the building at at. Uh, at, at, at Inter Miami CF Stadium or whatever the naming rights is called nowadays, it's it's quite interesting. Nashville was the only team not to announce home attendance. Now the caveat with all these attendance records is that Montreal and Vancouver um, and Toronto are teams that are playing outside of their beloved grounds, and Toronto having a base in in, in Florida uh, just as much as Montreal is, I'm sure. I believe Vancouver is in the Pacific Northwest. So um, Toronto will be playing at Orlando. As a matter of fact, they lost uh, to Montreal, Nashville SC's next opponent, 4-2. to two, Albeit, um, look, Toronto without Jonathan Osorio, who was suspended, Josie Altador has a thigh injury. Um, you have Alejandro Pozuelo, who was also out injured. Chris Mavinga, one of the better center backs in MLS, was also out. So there was a lot of missing pieces for Toronto FC. And Montreal did have the new addition of Georgie Mihailovic coming from Chicago. They had Mason Toy. A Victor Wanyama goal. A Victor Wanyama goal. Yes, indeed. And then, of course, you can't talk about Montreal impact without Romel Kyoto. So, um, look, th- this, is, this is an interesting situation here with Nashville FC. One of four consecutive home matches to begin the 2020 MLS season, and they do not announce match attendance. We were ready to write the story. They just didn't give us the information. I mean, that's, a, that's an easy just, hey, Clarksville, hey, Murfreesboro, hey, Columbia, Tennessee, hey, Thompson do you, Station. Do you want hey, to come to the biggest party? Indeed. Big party. 15,000 people, maybe. Would you like to go to the one, one, to the one event that is probably going to take – and host the largest contingent of sports fans this spring and summer. In the state. Right here. In the here. state. Open, <sighs> open air. Not, you're not going to have to worry about anything in terms of air circulation. The safety protocols are all there. We know you, know, you have the safety. You have the people there. We just don't know how many. I am probably 70 to 65% confident that National C had 12,000 fans at Nissan Stadium. Well, 69,000, 40% of that is roughly, what, 25,000 people? Yeah. And it looked and it looks like, I don't know if I would say it was half full, but it looked like it's a good-sized crowd. So why Nashville ST didn't want to publicize that at all? After all, after all the talk about season ticket holders wanting to get their seats in, about all the talk about the attendance of, uh, opportunities in this game after knowing that there would be a 40% cap instead of a 33% cap instead of a 25% cap. And you don't want to talk about the numbers. Um, maybe they know something we don't know. Maybe it was only 6,000 people and the TV and the cameras and, and everybody there just got fooled. 
Well, credit to credit to that's, everyone who was responsible for sitting. Great atmosphere. Great atmosphere. Credit credit to everyone who was responsible for sitting supporters and fans at Nissan Stadium for this match because if it truly was six thousand something, that is the largest six thousand contingent I have ever seen in a sporting event. That's right. Period. But it sounded gonna, like the loudest six thousand people I've ever heard either. As well. Indeed, so. especially after Randall Leal's goal. Uh, in the second half, I was indeed grateful to be at such a sporting event to witness fans again in that manner. But we're going to transition to our final part of this episode, and that being the fact that Nashville C. Cam comes into this match after signing CJ Sepong, 10-year veteran from Chicago Fire on a free agent deal. He comes in. You have the first full season of Jean Ricardis. You also have the return of Dominique Baji, Daniel Rios, and Abu Dunladi, who were on your roster and on your team last year. Now, yes, of course, Jean Ricardis and Daniel Rios did not play at all during the preseason. They did not play against Tampa Bay. They did not play against Louisville for injury's sake, at least for the first one we can confirm. Now, going into this match, Gary Smith was indeed talking about Previously, how there have been some some injuries uh, as far as as far as some of the uh, strikers is concerned. But here's what he had to say about the injury bug going into this match, the first match of the season after its bolstering of the attack. There, there were times in, in preseason, Drake, where I, I was wondering if we'd actually have a forward fit and available for us uh, for this opening game. You know, we've had all sorts of problems to deal with. Um, and Yonder's done a fantastic job of coming back from an ankle injury that he sustained within the first 10 days of being in pre-season. Um, not easy to get himself in a position where not only he gets on the, the score sheet, but he has a good impact on the game. And there's a difference between being out there for 45 minutes or an hour and having an impact, or just being out there for 45 minutes or an hour. And I said to him before the game that Attack it, get what we can out of it while you're, while you're having an impact on the game. Let's make sure you, you know, we get the very best out of you. And, and he did that. And you know, to get him on the sheet was great. But when you've got somebody of CJ's experience, um, who's, who's had difficulties himself in pre-season, you know, the, the balance of those two to take the game for us was probably going to be something I was always looking at. I needed someone to pick the back hand up and keep it at a certain tempo and a certain level, especially as we were on the front foot. We'd equalised, um, we got ourselves in a great position and uh, I felt the additions gave us just a little bit of a shot that we needed at the right time. What do you think about that, Nick? After the whole storyline this offseason about Nashville C bolstering its centre forward platoon and to think day, 24 hours, 72 hours before you play Cincinnati, you were concerned that you would even have a healthy center forward to field. Well, we saw two of them. We saw yeah. CJ Sepong. We, we did. We saw Yonder Cadiz play. Did he get to an hour? I can't remember. Somewhere around exactly there because that's where, yeah. that's where CJ came. But we're talking and about what Gary Smith 40, said. Yeah. So at least in the first 45 minutes, those guys look, look pretty fit. Looked, they looked fit. It looked like they well, the were purpose 24 here, hours away from being 
rule inactive. Well, that's let's sure. let's 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 keep it let's keep it anchored to what Gary Smith said. Now we're talking in the context of yeah. Gary Smith before the match. These are this is during the week leading up to the match, and that Jean Cadiz he did not say a specific number as far as fitness is concerned, but he did say that a swap of Cadiz for Sapong was always in his mind. It was always something that he was looking to do or thinking about. Regardless if Jandre scored two, one, none, or three goals, that, yes, and that was going to be of his plan. And would it have been great for CJ Sapong to score the game winner? Surely. Absolutely. Now, CJ Sapong is a part of that group who sure. was dealing with injury problems. Dominic Baji was ruled out. Okay, he had an adductor uh, situation going on. And then you have Daniel Rios with his foot. And then you have Abu Danladi, who was also uh, a part of that and was it was ruled questionable. So to, to think all of this, Nick, I just I'm I'm a little I'm a little concerned that this whole thing of January, February, and March was about CJ Sapong and the first full season of Jean Cadiz. They are supposed to add to Daniel Rios in the spectacular season that he had in 2020. And then, of course, Dominic Baji finding health and competing for some minutes and having all four of those guys. In the end, you only had two healthy guys, which was basically like 2020. So you didn't really have an increase here. So if you're going to – but but my thing is here. It's interesting. I Like, I don't know if there's too many teams – right now in MLS who have the quality of like, can they say my fourth best striker is Dominic Baji? Not a lot of teams that can say that. That's theoretical though. We can't talk like that because we're talking about. So what are we talking about? The tangible, the tangible reality that is going to the bench. You will not see Dominic Baji and you will not see Daniel Rios and you will not see Abu Dhanladi. That just sounds like a lot, like an extension of last year, doesn't it? That's my point. <laughs> that's my maybe, point here. Maybe you just add one more established guy, and maybe that's why CJ Sapon was such a big ad. Is that even if maybe he has some issues with injuries and things, that you have a guy, you know, uh, there was at one point last year where it was Dominic Baji. And you're kind of thinking, what that was he? Who Abu Dhanladi and Derek year. Jones? It was Abu Dhanladi and Derek Jones, um, which is not acceptable for any MLS team, I would say. And so now you add a CJ Sapong there, and if you if you and you just got you have to hope. Like I, I I think it's okay if you have two of those four healthy at all times or at, at, at most part of the most times during the season, what you can't have is, and like, it's, it's bad injury luck. If, if three or four of those guys are injured, it's bad injury luck. Yes. Because you, you can run a line with any of those four guys. You can now is John Cadiz going to be better than Dominique Baji? Yes. He's going to be like, I think that's pretty clear now in this system. That's the truth. But you can run the line with any of those four guys. If you have that bad injury luck, then you just chuck it up, chalk, chalk it up to, well, 
you know, what can we do? What can we do? We can just settle for do what they did at a point last year and just hope that you're grinding these games out and grinding these results out. And that's just the way it is. And hopefully with the schedule being a little less compact, the, 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 the injury situation can be mitigated to a, an extent. But if you're going to have four quality strikers and they're all going to be injured, there's not, not much a manager can do about that. So we don't know the timetable for Daniel Rios um, with his foot or with Don Baji and his adductor situation. Um, now, considering that Abu Dhanladi uh, was listed as questionable and, and God forbid that there are any, any setbacks, uh, that's one guy who is that striker winger hybrid that you'll have, have at your disposal. Um, he brings you pace. Obviously he brings you that speed breakaway speed and for Nashville, obviously more is better in this, in this particular topic. So look, the whole purpose is for Nashville C to take a jump forward from 2020 and Yes, you can't really control injuries. It's like if it happens, you have to just deal with it. Um, but again, this has got to be something that you would hope for Nashville C will not linger throughout the season. Uh, because if it does, then you're just going to have to expect CJ Sapong and John Cadiz to score plentiful. Right. But then you get to the point. Well, I, I think that that's pot. I think that's. Well, I'm sure that's that what they kind of ties for. into. Yeah, that kind of ties into what my question is going to be. My, my, it, it, we'll probably say it every episode from now until they're all four of them are healthy. You're gonna get to a point where all four of them are fit, and then you're gonna have to decide. Well, how do I how do I distribute these these guys' minutes through the next twenty <laughs> games? We will not. We were. I refuse to answer that until that that situation actually comes to pass. But do, do, will you say? All right, answer me this. Maybe Don Baji does get lost in the. Sh- I, I don't think anybody would be surprised if Don Baji got lost in the shuffle. Maybe he makes some, you know, he, he makes the bench in some games just as a guy that can play both the center forward and out wide. But don't you think Daniel Rios deserve will, will deserve to have some minutes, even if CJ Sapong and Yonder Cadiz are, are somewhat in form and are fit? Well, I actually wrote a story last year when Rios and Cadiz had played. Uh, in the fall together. Um, I believe that was in October against Dallas. And um, that was the thrashing, I believe. No, don't quote me on this. I have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure that was the October 3-0 beating of FC Dallas and those two play together. Um, That's a partnership that we know about. That's something that we can see works well. They're two completely different types of strikers. They like to do two different things, their attributes are different, their strengths are different, um, how they play with Mukhtar and how they play with Will and, and Leal is different, and it's complementary. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, I do believe Daniel Rios deserves to have those minutes, but he's got to be healthy to do so. And I'm, I don't think Gary Smith or anyone else at National C thinks otherwise because they know and they believe in Daniel Rios. I believe in Daniel Rios. The supporters believe in Daniel Rios. He scored goals. And so going forward, we're going to have to wait to see what exactly is the choice once everyone is healthy. That's going to do it. Cut and dry. We're cutting it. Episode two, plugged in. 
This has been a Nashville Soccer Podcast. That is Nick Gray. I am Drake Hills. We'll see you next time.